distance in the light. Greetings, loved ones. This is Matt Stevens. This is the My Sober Addiction Podcast. I don't really do a lot of research. Maybe that's a rookie move, you know, a rookie mistake. But I'm going to look at this podcast as a way to speak from my soul. I'm sure when I begin doing interviews, and I will, that I will do more research for the podcast for, you know, for the, uh, that particular guest or topic or whatever. But for now, I mostly just outline what I feel I need to speak about, and then I'll just let it flow from there. Now, I do do a lot of research, personal research into spirituality, nature of reality, science of consciousness, you know, all those things that I'm interested in. So I do do a lot of research, and most of what I talk about on here is based off of that research. I just don't particularly research things for the purpose of the podcast. I guess indirectly I do. I just share my thoughts, feelings, things that I have discovered, things that I'm kind of working through. Sometimes it's better to talk it out, right? I'm a work in progress. I'm working out the details of what I believe, and I don't know if I'll ever have it fully worked out. Maybe we can do it together. I do believe we live in a simulated reality. Well, not exactly. I don't like the word simulated. It, re- it, it implies that we live in some kind of computer simulated whatever, like in some nerd alien bedroom, and not like in a Sims game. No, I absolutely do not believe that's the case. So maybe instead of simulated reality, it may be generated, maybe projected, but I really like the word reflected, which would imply the whole holographic universe theory reflected meaning we do create our own reality individually and collectively and what we have created is then reflected back to us as our perceived reality now i know that's kind of getting out there we are eternal spiritual beings living a temporary human experience and we probably forget who we really are in this reality and then during this lifetime we are to rediscover who we are what that means is who you really are is not this body this avatar whatever you want to call it who you really are is a soul that's let's say out there and in order to experience this this experience that we're having you must occupy something that enables you to move around in that environment a soul can't really participate in this environment so we must have an avatar which would be your body you control i like to think from outside the avatar we control it it just doesn't seem that way because everything is so real it's very well explained in the book that i've been reading that i mentioned in the last episode conversations with god and i have decided i'm going to read part of that book but i do need to kind of read the introduction to it just to be sure that whoever's listening to this understands exactly what I mean. The book is Conversations with God, an Uncommon Dialogue by Neil Donald Walsh. I was very unhappy during that period, personally, professionally, and emotionally. And my life was feeling like a failure on all levels. 
as I'd been in the habit for years of writing my thoughts down in letters, which I usually never delivered. I picked up my trusty yellow legal pad and began pouring out my feelings. This time, rather than another letter to another person I imagined to be victimizing me, I thought I'd go straight to the source, straight to the greatest victimizer of them all. I decided to write a letter to God. It was a spiteful, passionate letter, full of confusions, contortions, and condemnations, and a pile of angry questions. Why wasn't my life working? What would it take to get it to work? Why could I not find happiness in relationships? Was the experience of adequate money going to elude me forever? Finally, and most emphatically, what had I done to deserve a life of such continuing struggle? To my surprise, as I scribbled out that the last of my bitter, unanswerable questions and prepared to toss my pen aside, my hand remained poised over the paper, as if held there by some invisible, invisible force. Abruptly, the pen began moving on its own. I had no idea what I was about to write, but an idea seemed to be coming, so I decided to flow with it. Out came, do you really want an answer to all these questions, or are you just venting? Now, dear listener, in this book, Neil Donald Walsh implies that he was he wrote an angry letter to God, and God replied through him. Now, a lot of people are familiar with channeling, with automatic writing, things like that, where they channel the uh, angels or some extraterrestrial or dead loved ones or whatever, um, where they allow some entity to come through and speak through them. Channeling is a big deal now. How I, my, my personal feelings about it are irrelevant. Automatic writing is another thing that's very similar to this. I've, I've recommended something similar to this in the podcast before when I talk about journaling, just allow whatever to come out to come out and regardless, it doesn't matter. Nobody's got to read it. It's just you and a piece of paper and a pen. So it doesn't matter how gobbledygook gibberish it may sound. In the book, God writes through him and answers all his tough life questions. I highly recommend the book. It is amazing. It has really made so much sense in so many ways. And I pro I'm, I'm almost certain I'll get into some other parts of the book. I haven't really, I'm not even halfway through it. Actually, I think I might be right at halfway, but whatever. So with all that kind of set up, I'm going to read this. So leading up to this, God had explained to Mr. Walsh, we're extensions of God. We are his creation, so therefore we are part of him. Much like an author of a book has characters in the book, and those characters are extensions of that author. So, further into the book, page 56 to be specific, God says, The realm of the relative, as in like relativity, the realm of the relative was created in order that I might experience myself. This has already been explained to you. This does not make the realm of the relative real. It is a created reality you and I have devised and continue to devise in order that we may know ourselves experientially. In other words, a way that we can't just imagine it, we can actually experience it. Yet the creation can seem very real. Its purpose is to seem so real, we accept it as truly existing. In this way, God has contrived to create something else other than itself. Though in strictest terms, this is impossible since God is 
I am all that is. So that's kind of what I've been trying to get at. I've always been struggling with trying to find a way to explain what I mean when I say that reality is simulated or reflected. I never want to sound like one of those people who's kind of one of those matrix types who believes that we're all living inside a computer. I don't believe that. I do believe that consciousness is a field, that consciousness is God, and then he created us to experience all that could be experienced. So basically he's living through us. And it's kind of a cool thought to think that we can come here, live a life, and take that experience back to God and say, look, here's what I got. With that said, I'm going to read another part of the book, actually a page before, on page 54. And this is when it kind of gets into how, how we create our lives. God said, Emotion is the power which attracts. That which you fear strongly, you will experience. An animal which you consider a lower form of life, even though animals act with more integrity and greater consistency than humans, knows immediately if you are afraid of it. Plants, which you consider an even lower form of life, respond to people who love them far better than to those who could not care less. None of this is by coincidence. There is no coincidence in the universe. Only a grand design. Emotion is energy in motion. When you move energy, you create effect. If you move enough energy, you create matter. Matter is energy conglomerated, moved around, shoved together. If you manipulate energy long enough in a certain way, you get matter. Every master understands this law. It's the alchemy of the universe. It is the secret of all life. Thought is pure energy. Every thought you have, have ever had, and ever will have, is creative. The energy of your thought never ever dies. Ever. It leaves your being and heads out into the universe, extending forever. A thought is forever. All thoughts congeal. All thoughts meet other thoughts, crisscrossing in an incredible maze of energy forming an ever-changing pattern of unspeakable beauty and unbelievable complexity. Like energy attracts like energy. So, dear loved ones, if we were to take this at its word, and right now we are, and I do believe this to be very true, we do create our own reality. And our thoughts are very powerful. Our thoughts create things. Quantum physics shows us that everything that exists, every bit of matter, is energy. If you break down molecules to atoms to subatomic particles and all that stuff, it all, at the end of it all, it's just energy. And it's vibrating. And whether or not it's a diamond or a piece of paper depends upon what at what frequency it's vibrating at. What we perceive in our perceived reality is based on whether or not it stays within a certain range of frequency. Anything outside of that range of frequency, we probably could not see. Which could explain a whole lot of things. Paranormal things and things like that. But I'm not getting into all that. That's not what I'm interested in. But it is something kind of cool to think about. Now, I've always restrained myself with what I believe and not trying to get too woo-woo 
As I've said, I can get weird. I can get real weird. I could go out there with the best of them. So I've really restrained myself from really letting go and speaking truly and fully what I feel is my message, my path. Partly because it sounds crazy to the 3D mind. I say 3D mind on purpose. It's kind of a hint, kind of a clue for what I'm talking about. The other and probably the main reason I've restrained myself is my own comfort level. I struggle with understanding these things. I have to remind myself that this is my 3D mind. And sometimes there are some things that it just cannot understand. And this is something that most people know. We understand that our brains, this physical brain, is unable to comprehend eternity. Is unable to comprehend that there is a no beginning and no end. We know it exists. We accept it on faith. And I'm quite certain that my soul understands this, but my human brain cannot. And that's fine. But it is sometimes a struggle. And sometimes it makes you want to just give up and say, to hell with it all, right? So I guess I'm trying to ask you, dear listener, to suspend your 3D brain for a minute and just go with me on this whole rabbit hole. How this reality that we live in is created. We are co-creators of it. I believe that by being aware of the fact that we are creators, that we have an obligation to help those who are not aware of this to see it. And we can only really do that by being an example. What does this have to do with addiction? Well, nothing really, except for the fact that a lot of us addicts probably on what we would consider borrowed time. We know a lot of addicts who lost their fight with addiction, and yet here we are. In a lot of cases, probably should have been in the same boat they were in. So I feel like we kind of have an obligation to carry the torch to defeat addiction and come out of it and live amazing lives so that we can do it in their honor, the ones that didn't make it, and also to help those who are still struggling, to be an example to them that they can come out of it. They can still have an amazing life. It's not too late. And then for those who are not addicted, we can be examples to show them if somebody can be come from this low down and overcome it and move forward, then anybody can. What we get out of life is what we are. And we decide what we are moment to moment. We are creating, we are manifesting our lives every single moment. And I know most people are like, well, I wouldn't choose this. Well, of course, but well, you did choose it. You wouldn't consciously choose it, but you did choose it. We've all chosen where we are just by choices that we've made. Beautiful thing is we can stop and change and, and, and go in a different direction at any moment. And no, it's not easy, but nothing good is really. We didn't get where we are overnight. We're not going to come out of it overnight. But the good news is we can come out of it. And it, we can come out of it a whole lot quicker than we've been in it. And as far as the nature of reality and manifestation and the manipulation of energy, that's been going on for centuries. For example, a little history on the on the subject, the Freemasons. You know, throughout history, they held many, many closely guarded secrets based on which le- based on the, what a level they've attained, which secrets are kind of bestowed to them and entrusted to them. And all of this information has kind of slowly been leaked to the public accidentally. Not accidentally? I don't know. They claim, 33rd degree Masons, 
can make people do things without even speaking. They can heal people with energy, make things happen just by wanting it to. A man named Manly Palmer Hall, he was a 33rd degree Mason and wrote a book called The Secret Teachings of All Ages. I haven't read it yet, but it is said that he hid the secret teachings of being a 33rd degree Mason in the book in a way that if you carefully read it, you can learn to use your mind to make things happen in the real world. So people have known all these things for a long time. It's been always been kind of a closely guarded secret. Why? Well, they were just being greedy and wanted to keep it to themselves. Kind of like in the movie or the book, The Secret. If you haven't read the book or seen the movie, I highly recommend you do. It's about the law of attraction. It kind of goes into that, how the law of attraction was kept secret from the masses. Another group, the Rosicrucians, are also like an ancient secret society, order, whatever. The Rosicrucians more believed in the law of assumption, which... In that case, it's more of a imagine your ideal perfect self and then begin to act that part in every way, whatever it is that you want to be. If you want to be a great singer, start playing the role of a great singer in your everyday life. What would a great singer do? Well, that's what you need to do. Whatever the case may be, Rosicrucian, through the law of assumption, believe that they, that you would find that you, you begin to attract to you the environment and conditions that you have visualized, which would be creating your desired reality. Rosicrucians believed we are creators, part of the divine consciousness, a.k.a. God. Whatever a person thinks and concentrate on and directs their creative consciousness to becomes manifested. They also believe that we have creative power, but not destructive power. In other words, we can create, but we cannot destroy. And the word create is used a lot. Now, do I think that we should go out and join the Freemasons? Absolutely not. Do I believe that we should join the Rosicrucians if you even can? I don't know. No, I don't. Can we be? Can we learn something from these groups? Of course. We can learn something from anybody. I just kind of more pointed out the kind of history behind manifestation and manipulation of energy and creation of reality. But I do believe that whatever we believe about life is what we experience from it. Do you believe that life's not fair? The world is a terrible place and probably not going to have a very good experience. And it's probably in our best interest to change our beliefs, change the way we look at things so that we can experience a better result. That's why the whole gratitude thing is very important. Be grateful for all the great things that you have instead of focusing on the things that you don't have. Because whatever you focus on is what you get. If you focus on what you don't have, guess what? You get more of what you don't have. Stop focusing on lack. Focus on the things that we are grateful for. We can start right now, today. Whatever we believe to be true will be reflected back to us. A lot of times we go on autopilot and we just kind of cruise throughout the day. To become more present in the moment you know, turn off the autopilot and become more present, more conscious. You know, I've talked about awareness alarms, where we set an alarm on our phones for every hour, two hours, whatever you feel is necessary. And all it does is kind of wake you up to get conscious, get aware. One of the things that I've kind of thought of is focus on your toes. <laughs> talked with my counselor about this not too long ago. Focus on your toes. 
And I talked, Kitty and I talked about it too, by the way. But of course, talk about everything with her. So, focusing on your toes. Why your toes, Matt? Well, because it's usually something that you really just don't pay any attention to. So, if you bring your awareness to the present moment, wherever you are, doesn't matter. You could be at work. You could be driving in your car. You can be shopping. Doesn't matter. When that alarm goes off, you center yourself. You bring yourself back into the present moment. Here I am. I'm here. I am breathing. And I'm going to focus on my toes for like 30 seconds. Why my toes? I don't know, you focus on your teeth. Something that you don't normally think about. Something that makes you become aware in this very moment. I guess I'm going to cut it off there. I'm going to continue reading this book. I highly recommend it. In it, it says, this is book one. It says, and somewhere along the way, I realized a book was being produced. A book intended for publication. Indeed, I was told specifically during the latter part of the dialogue, meaning between him, Mr. Walsh, and God, in February of 1993, that three books would actually be produced and that the first one, this one, would deal mainly with personal topics, focusing on, on, on an individual's life challenges and opportunities. The second book would deal with more global topics of geopolitical and metaphysical life on the planet and the challenges now facing the world. And the third book would deal with universal truths of the highest order and the challenges and opportunities of the soul. So like I said, I'm about halfway through-ish, halfway through the first book, and it has completely blown my mind. Yes, I can imagine it is very controversial among organized religion. Oh, yes, definitely that. You know how organized religion seeks to control the masses with fear. You know, fear of judgment, damnation, and hell, and all that. Whereas in this book, it really does explain that you can't really have judgment if you have unconditional love. If you believe that God loves you unconditionally, that means there are no conditions. We're here for an experience. We're here to live a life, experience all that there is to be experienced, not just you as an individual, but all of us collectively. We're all extensions of God, of the Creator, of the universe, living an experience rather than just an imagining experience, actually going down into it and experiencing it. It's uh, it's a huge concept, and, and the way it's been explained in this book is rather mind-blowing, and I so appreciate it. And I also appreciate you, dear listener. I love you all. I'll be back soon. This is Matt Stevens. This is the My Sober Addiction Podcast. Thank you for listening. There is a